This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 247 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We've got a lot to get to on this episode. Daniel Gowan will be with us in just a bit, our colleague from Lions247.com, to address the spiral that Penn State basketball finds itself in. A very ill-timed spiral as March Madness conversation really heating up. Three-game losing streak to begin February. We'll discuss what's gone wrong for the Nittany Lions and wonder if there's time to right the ship for them in Big Ten Conference play uh, with Daniel Gowan a little bit later, along with looking at the seven athletes that are headed out from the 2022 Penn State roster to participate in the NFL Scouting Combine a little bit later this year. Uh, but right now we begin with recruiting. And, our, of course, the coverage uh, comes through Tyler Calvaruzzo at lines247.com. Uh, big dose of it today in his stock report on 2024 prospects to know. And we're going to get into a lot of 2024 conversation right now with Tyler Welcome back aboard, my friend. Feels good to be back, man. Like you said, we got a lot to talk about. Even during a dead period, we got a lot to talk about. I love it. That's right. Dead period, uh, it, it never, Not never here, really man. rings Not truly. No, that's right. Uh, and, and and last episode, we spent a lot of time covering what myself, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen saw on Tuesday when we had the second-year players from Penn State at Beaver Stadium. James Franklin with his first offseason press conference. Marcus Higgins stepped up to the podium for his introductory press conference. I know you were following things from afar with our coverage at Lions247.com. And before we get to our conversation, wanted to kind of steer it towards you, some of the takeaways and what you heard from James Franklin regarding those uh, the transfer pickups. A lot of praise early on for Storm Duck. Malik uh, McNeil getting to work with this program, but also Chimdi Ono and what they were able to do at the end of the recruiting class, uh, finishing up the 2023 group. Yes, yeah, just starting with Ono, I feel like it kind of ties into what we've been saying about him for a while, how Penn State really felt that to be able to have the chance to go out and land such a high ceiling offensive lineman so late in the cycle after missing on, you know, guys like Evan Ling, Stanton Ramil, Flapjack Owens earlier in the cycle. It was a really big opportunity for the staff and Phil Trotwan did what he had to do to seal the deal. And he rose so high in the rankings in such a short amount of time. And it speaks to his upside. It speaks to the traits that he has. A lot of it has to do with the physicality. A lot of it has to do with the measurables. And he just, he put a lot of good things on tape as a senior. And that really rose his stock. So it's really not much of a surprise to me that James Franklin was waxing poetic about Shim D and all the good things that he brings to the table. You know, that's how the staff has felt about him behind closed doors. Now they can come out and discuss that publicly. So that aligns with everything we've been hearing with him. And then when it comes to the transfers, again, not really a situation where I'm surprised that guys like Storm Duck and Malik McLean are coming in and making early impacts. You know, Dante Cephas is going to get here in the spring. I know Coach Franklin couldn't talk about him on uh on Tuesday but I know he got a nice little indirect mention there so good questioning but you know you got to work with the guys you have on campus right now they got a pretty good group of transfers as we've documented early and often ever since the portal season started 
Dalkin McLean really making an early impact, really raising a lot of eyebrows inside of Lash. So got you can't really complain about that start to the offseason. Those guys raised some eyebrows when on Tuesday their position coaches pointed to them as the top performers in, in winter conditioning workout number one. We got the results of number two uh, on Wednesday, uh, on Thursday. But but quickly going back to Tuesday, they weren't the only newcomers mentioned. Manny Diaz turned right to Tony Rojas and said, you were the top competitor in winter conditioning workouts, our first one of the year, your first one as a college athlete. I'm curious what the realistic expectations are for Rojas. Penn State has all three starting uh, linebackers returned. They have other guys who played a bunch of Big Ten football last year returned to the roster. He's not alone as 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 a new arrival that is is you know exciting people and Tamir Robinson's an early enrollee and you've got Kavion Keys coming to campus. But strictly speaking about Rojas, who just dominated on both sides of the ball last year, All Metro Player of the Year down in the DC area. What do we think about his true possibilities here in 2023 on the field for Penn State? You know, it doesn't really surprise you with Rojas, does it? We talk about his athletic traits for months, and then he gets to campus, and those same athletic traits are the reason why he's standing out to members of the staff. You know, so another situation where this is kind of what Penn State was anticipating from Rojas. And when it comes to his potential for early impact, yeah, you got to see where things fall with the depth chart. You know, there are veterans in the room, and Rojas is going to have to surpass those guys, not only physically. You know, we're talking about guys who have been in the strength and conditioning program for a really long time. They do have a leg up on him in that regard naturally. That's just the way it goes. That's college football for you. But schematically as well, you know, him being on campus early obviously helps in that regard because he's going to have plenty of time to dive into the playbook, really dig into Manny Diaz's defense and what his expectations are for Rojas as a linebacker in his scheme. So, you know – I do think that there's a real chance that he could crack the rotation and play meaningful snaps as a true freshman. I really do. You know, you don't want to bestow such high expectations on players all the time just because, you know, there are so many guys ahead of them coming in as true freshmen. And they're, like I said, there's a lot of ground a lot of them have to make up. But I think Rojas has already kind of advanced in that sense. And for him to already be garnering praise from the coaching staff kind of speaks to where he's trending. Elliot Washington's kind of in the same boat. Zion Tracy's in the same boat. There have been a lot of really positive returns on the early enrollees, specifically the guys on the defensive side of the ball. So good things coming out of Lash. Rojas is one of many who's really standing out. And I do want to talk about this defensive class in a second, because last time we had you, had you on last week, you gave some final thoughts on the 2023 offensive group. But before we get there, just to address Rojas' situation, the early conversation has really been centered on that Sam linebacker yeah. spot, um, which is where we saw Curtis Jacobs end up returning to. Uh, he's going to be a third-year starter, essentially, in that role. He, of course, spent some time at will linebacker last season. Beyond him, Don DeLuca got a lot of run to the point where he earned a scholarship as a redshirt freshman last year, former walk-on player, um, almost 200 defensive snaps to his credit. Someone that we thought might be part of that equation that we can confirm is no longer part of that equation. Referenced it on Tuesday, but Tyrese Mills in his second year with the program at Lackawanna College, no longer part of the linebacker room. He's playing safety, which is where he was at the junior college level. Um, Jonathan Sutherland has moved on after six years. He was at the SAM taking up a lot of snaps. So we'll see. There's some moving pieces there. A couple guys that are out of the equation. Uh, Dom DeLuca kind of solidified his, his spot there. But to your point, uh, there's a lot of time for Tony Ross to surge and, and make Manny Diaz find find a way to get him involved. And, and based on what we saw in, in Manny Diaz's debut campaign as defensive coordinator with the Nittany Lions, they aren't going to be afraid to get freshmen involved. No. They aren't going to be afraid no. to, to rotate guys in and out of the game as things progress. And they're not going to be afraid to do that starting in September. So very curious on that. We'll, we'll put that one on the back burner for now. But looking at this defensive 
group in its entirety. You mentioned some of the guys who are on board early. Really curious about what some of the summer enrollees will be able to accomplish you know, with, with limited time before the season gets going. What stands out to you overall collectively and then individually about the defensive hall that Penn State got in 2023? Really like the group that they put together in the secondary. You know, I felt pretty good about the upside of that group for a while. And then guys like Washington and Tracy get onto campus early, who I just mentioned, and they're standing out to the point where staff has so much praise for them, you know, internally and just they're guys who maybe have a chance, especially Elliot Washington. The big thing with Elliot Washington is that throughout his recruitment, there was kind of a sense that he would have the chance to play early if he came along as expected in his development. And I think we're already kind of starting to see the foundation for that being laid because there has been a lot of praise for him and just what he's been able to accomplish in the weight room and off the field where he's at, in the, you know, in terms of learning the playbook. And then with a guy like Zion Tracy, who we've already known that he was fast for months, but when a guy who's testing as well as he did during the summer at Penn state camp gets to campus early and tests even better than he did back then. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got some real potential to, you know, maybe play sooner than we were originally anticipating. So just, I really love the depths of the secondary class. You guys know, like King Mac, DeCar Nelson, they're going to be players at the next level. I truly believe that, especially Nelson, just the versatility he has. And with Mac, the speed he has and his ability to play as a one-high safety, he can play in the nickel. He could be a true center fielder if that's what Manny Diaz wants him to be. So really when I think about the defensive side of this Penn State 2023 recruiting class, the secondary is what stands out to me. And I've had plenty of plays for the linebacker group, guys like Rojas, Kavion Keys. Tamir Robinson, there have been plenty of good things to say about them. But when I really look at it, the secondary's got me the most excited, I think, out of anything. I, I'm right there with you, and it's kind of more the same in what they've been able to do between Anthony Poindexter and Terry Smith and stockpiling and ex occasionally exchanging talent from room to room as they get a feel for who these guys are from a, from a prospect profile, what they're, what they're comfortable with, can they cover on an island, how do they handle the run? All these different factors. And then the guy who's in one room in year one might be thriving in a different room in year two. And, and they've really done a nice job of, of, of kind of balancing that. The two safety prospects that you referenced, Dakari Nelson and King Mack, man, I'm really like each of those guys, I think, has They're the ability exciting. to come here and do some exciting stuff uh, between, you know, the first week of August and the first few weeks of September. So by the time you get into the thick of, of where you're getting ready to, to, to say who's playing for us when we get into the Big Ten action, you know, I think they could be in that conversation, particularly Mac when, when I look between those two. But as you said, you've got two cornerbacks right there who have garnered that kind of early uh, feedback. We've got a ways to go, what, five weeks or so until yeah. these guys put on pads and, and start actually doing some real football work on the field under the supervision of this coaching staff. But um, uh, I think defensively, the one area where you didn't mention right there was the defensive front. Uh, last year, you had two guys come in, burn red shirts with Denai Dennis Sutton, Zane Durant, um, Caleb Artis coming along behind the scenes. This time, Ty Blanding, a guy who the coaching staff is very high on, but I think like some of the other tackles they've brought in the past, where is he physically from a size standpoint? Is he going to be able to handle what lies ahead in the trenches within this conference? And then on the edge, we've talked a lot about Joseph Mpoye and him being more of a long-term investment. And then Mason Robinson coming to town as a guy who's going to be here in the summer. So how does it all stack up in terms of maybe early impact on the defensive front, if at all? So I like the defensive line group, but at the same time, it's a group that I do have a lot of questions about. I think there are a lot of questions about today on February 9th. I, I just feel like where we're at at this point in the offseason, it's a lot of wait and see kind of a situation because 
Ty Blanding, yeah, John Scott Jr. loves him a lot. He loves his first step. He, he thinks he's a really good player, but at the same time, he doesn't need to do some catching up physically. You know, he's 6'1", probably around 270, 275 right now. You'd like to see him play a little bit heavier. And he does have the frame to play heavier, which is a good thing for his development. So that's a positive for Penn State. You know, Joseph Mupoye, you know, like you mentioned, he's probably more of a long-term guy. Not only probably more of a long-term guy, but where exactly is he going to be lining up when he does get on the field? Is he going to bulk up and become an interior guy? Is he going to be more of that kind of athletic specimen on the end? We're going to have to wait and see with him because there's going to be a lot of developing that has to, that he's going to have to do on and off the field when he, you know, when he gets down to it. And with Mason Robinson, I've felt that he's one of the more technically sound defensive linemen that Penn State landed this past cycle. So I think that will contribute to his ability to see the field maybe earlier than most. I think he sticks on the end when it's all said and done. I don't see him bulking up to be an interior guy. Jamal Lines is a guy who might wind up doing that. But of all of that, of, of the entire defensive line hall, I would say Lines is the guy who I really like the most, just in the sense that he plays really nasty. He tosses opposing offensive linemen around. He, he's just got that it factor to me. And physically, he's already where he needs to be, right? Yeah. You know, you get him in the college strength and condition. You get him under Chuck Losey's watch. And, yeah, he's going to be able to improve physically. But I think he's already at that point where – there's not a ton of work that needs to be done compared to maybe some of the other guys like type landing. So Lions, I really like his upside. I like what he brings to the table. And again, overall, it's a solid group. You know, you would have loved to have TJ Parker as part of this. You know, he finishes as a top 50 prospect. Penn State had him committed in the summer, winds up at Clemson. One of those situations where I'm not really sure the staff could have done a whole lot to alter the outcome in the end. But look, you got to work with what's given. And Penn State has been given a pretty good group. There's just a lot of questions and a lot of, you know, where a guy's going to be in their development as upperclassmen. I think that's going to be what tells the story of this group. The return of Adiza Isaac, which we were not sure about when the Rose Bowl Thank ended. Uh, the return of Zariah Fisher, who who got the nod for the top performer among defensive linemen in, in session number two of winter workouts after missing essentially the entire uh, regular season, came back late after a spring injury. He's back in that fold. Smith Vilbert showed up on the scene late. So it feels like there's some reinforcements on the edge, I think, where you wonder a little bit while there's some names and there's some experience and there's potential uh, defensive tackle. You know, you, you kind of work your way through what a three deep might look like. And they were able to really go three deep uh, at that position when they needed to this year. I think that's where you have some questions. And that's where I'm going to finish uh, off this portion of the conversation with you, Tyler, because James Franklin alluded to it. There's going to be another wave of transfer portal entries after the spring ball period ends across college football. That's the next window when guys can jump in the portal. Um, we saw them pick up a Chop Robinson commitment last year during spring ball. It wasn't quite after that. But Franklin said they, they are open to possibilities. They're going to look for ways to improve their roster. And for me, now that they've shored things up at defensive back. They've got two guys coming at wide receiver. One's already here. They got that late addition on the offensive line. I look at the defensive interior, at least yes. in terms of obvious areas where you'd want to address. Yeah, that was the one area I felt Penn State didn't really address through the portal. It was one they tried to address, no doubt about that. They, they were involved with some guys at the position. It, it wasn't something that they let fall by the wayside. So I think the spring, you know, the second wave of the portal, it's going to be an opportunity for Penn State to address that need. Because at the end of the day, as good as the outlook is for this 2023 Penn State team, I think one of the big questions is how do you replace P.J. Mustafer? Do you go get a guy from the portal? Do you rely in-house? Do you rely on these incoming freshmen? You know, it's something that the staff is going to have to figure out. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all when James Franklin, when I saw that he said that, it just it won't be an interior defensive line thing that they'll be looking at either. They'll be looking at how they can improve at positions across the board. You know, granted, the numbers are different at certain positions than others. So, you know, there are more opportunities to add at certain positions than others. But 
if a guy pops up in the portal and Penn State feels that he could help them, whether it be you know instantly or maybe a guy further down the line as an underclassman who decides to enter the portal, I think they'll explore all the opportunities pretty much afforded to them. It's look any chance you can get to make your roster better and just improve your depth, the staff's going to take it. So, but yeah, when it comes to the focus, I would say the interior of the defensive line for sure. I think they're going to be monitoring what names enter the portal really, really closely. All right, still tracking some potential movement with the 2023 roster. We got 11 freshmen still to come in the summer uh, and potential transfer portal buzz to come in the spring. But let's move that focus a little bit down toward the future. The 2024 class, two commitments on board right now, both of them in the state of Pennsylvania, and they're looking to add to that. They've made inroads with a lot of players. I want to begin, though, with the quarterback position uh, because you had a story up on Monday as part of your Tyler's Tidbits, and, and it was a uh, kind of – Here's what the board is coming together as. Here who's on the top. Here who else is there. Kind of talk us through that because there's some nuances to it at this stage in terms of guys who could commit and guys who simply could not commit. Conversations got to start with Luke Kromick, the Florida State commit, who we've talked about plenty on this pod. And the more I ask around with him, it just I keep hearing the same stuff about how something big would have to change with him and his relationship with Florida State or there being a change. of It's just something big has to happen to get him off his Florida State commitment. Do I think Mike Yerich and the rest of the Penn State staff have done a good job recruiting Kromanek? Yeah, I mean, they got him on campus for the whiteout game. They've been relentless going after him. It's pretty clear where he stands on the board. Now, is he going to visit in the spring? You don't know. You know, if he doesn't, I think that tells a pretty clear story of where he's at in his recruitment and his how solid he is to Florida State. But the intel with that right now is I think he's going to stick with Florida State and the good thing for Penn State is there are plenty of quality options behind him. I mean, Mike Van Buren from Baltimore St. Francis Academy, he was on campus at the end of January. A lot of good buzz coming out of that visit. You know, development has been a big deal for Van Buren with that pitch. And Yurchich and Daniel Bryan has played a pretty big role in that as well. There's a scheme fit there. So lots of like between Penn State and Van Buren right now. Jaden Bradford out of IMG Academy is a guy who hasn't been a whole lot of buzz surrounding his recruitment recently, but he did have Penn State in his top four dating back to the fall. So that's one you got to monitor. Going back to the summer, you know, he attended Lash Bash and worked out for the staff, and th there was a lot to like there, but it's been a while since then, obviously. So we need to see where he's at in his recruitment right now, where also he falls in the pecking order, you know, between guys like Van Buren and KJ Jackson is another one out of Alabama. Wasn't really overly active on the visit front in January. Did make it out to North Carolina for a visit, but He's been to Penn State multiple times. Family has made those trips with him. A lot of comfort between Jackson and the staff, so that's all good on the Penn State front. Samaj Jones out of Philly, you know, St. Joe's Prep. He's pinpointed Penn State as a leader. We've talked about him a bunch, and the potential for this to be a two-quarterback class, him being a pretty good fit in that regard, I feel. I feel like that still holds true. So, you know, they have offers out to guys like Will Hammond, who's a Texas Tech commit. They're, I'm sure there are other in the works. The evaluating never stops, right? You know, they're going to keep rolling along as they look for their 2024 quarterback and, you know, potentially a second 2024 quarterback. So those are the guys standing out right now. Would it surprise me to see some new offers maybe soon? We'll see. You know, there's been a name mentioned on our board out of Massachusetts. If you're a Lions 24-7 subscriber, if you've been tuned into the 2024 recruiting thread, and you know all about that. But we'll see if that offer comes. There's a lot going on there right now. But Mike Van Buren is the one to watch, I would say, right now. I think – I'm keeping a really close eye on him. And the thing to know for Penn State fans with Van Buren is I don't think he's necessarily in much of a rush to wrap things up. I think he's more on the patient side of things. So let that recruitment play out and let's see where Penn State falls at the end of the day. 
and you know this, it gets late early in quarterback recruiting. It's just not the same timeline in terms of when guys want to make decisions, when coaching staffs want to add a quarterback to the class. You want to do that ASAP. And typically when we get through that spring official visit window, these guys are normally ready to pull the trigger on an announcement. So we, I know that you and I have both been doing some reach out. We're trying to figure out which quarterbacks are going to prioritize yes. getting to Penn State. Conversely, which which quarterbacks is Penn State prioritizing to make sure they're on campus? Because not everybody they're going to be pushing as hard for. One name that you didn't mention there, and I'm just going to mention him with Samaj Jones because we're talking in-state quarterbacks. It's a rarity for Penn State's. Bo Perbula is the only guy to sign with them out of a Pennsylvania high school in the last dozen years. With that said, they've got two offers out there. So Maj Jones, Andrew Irby, and his, or Alex Irby, and his brother Andrew uh, both reported offers a, a few weeks back. Where are they in, in terms of accepting a, a commitment from these in-state quarterbacks? And you've talked about them being QB2 in a QQB class. You can't sell the QB2 thing, though. I guess you've got to sell a co-QB vision. I think a lot of the guys that – I just touched on the Van Buren's and the Bradford's and the Jackson's. I think the fact of the matter is, you know, they're higher on the board. I really feel like that's just where the layout is right now. And we've talked a lot about, you know, Penn state issuing in-state offers and then being serious about recruiting kids in state when they do issue those offers. I feel like quarterback is kind of the exception to that just because spots are more limited at that position than say on the defensive line where Irby's brother does have an offer. You know, there's going to be more opportunity for him to join that class when, you know, we're talking about quarterback recruiting, only one in two spots. And that two, two quarterbacks classes don't really happen all that mm -hmm. often these days. But from a numbers perspective, that might be the route that Penn State goes. And, yeah, you're right. You know, it is tough to say, hey, look, you know, you could come here and be our QB2 in a class because that's just not really how recruiting works. That's not how you get kids, you know. But the one thing you can sell in that regard is, yes, you might not be the only quarterback in this class, but you're going to have the chance to come in and compete just because you're not the only guy doesn't mean you're not our guy. You know, we like you, we're bringing you in here because we think you have potential to be a contributor in the big 10 and be a contributor at the power five level. So you may not be the only guy, but you're going to have a chance to earn those reps and earn a starting spot. You know, just because you're the second quarterback, you know, second quarterback in a class doesn't mean, you know, you're not going to have the opportunity. So I think that's the fine line that, Every staff has to walk when they are approaching yeah. a two-quarterback class. And I think Penn State's doing a pretty good job of that when they are recruiting these quarterbacks. Penn State has signed three two-quarterback classes and under uh, through 10 classes total under James Franklin. His first one went out and brought Trace McSorley in from that Vanderbilt class, uh, paired him with Michael O'Connor, who was already on board from the previous coaching staff. O'Connor left pretty soon after that. McSorley goes on to set a bunch of records for the school. And then a few years later, Taquan Roberson, Michael Johnson Jr., both sign, doesn't materialize for either of them. Um, and then you've got the two quarterback class that we're all focused in on now, uh, just a, a year ago coming up to campus. Looks like your QB1 and Drew Aller and your QB2 right now in Bo Prabula. But as you said, not everybody is going to be on board with being a part of a two quarterback class. I remember on this very podcast before he enrolled, Christian Vair telling us that that a crucial part of his Penn State recruitment was when they had a transparent conversation and saying, you are our solo quarterback in this class. He needed to hear that. He wanted to hear that. Some guys, it's not as important to them. But uh, 
we'll, we have a lot of time to talk quarterbacks. They're never far from the spotlight as usual. But the guys that get the ball to, I want to finish there with you before we bring in Daniel Gallen because the receiver position on campus is one that's very much in flux with, with new starters needed, a new voice of leadership there with Marcus Higgins. How is Higgins' impact being felt on the recruiting trail from everything you're gathering now that, now that he's about two weeks into this experience? I think it's still really early and you don't want to kind of, you know, oversell the impact that he's had in a sense. But I do think it has helped with guys who are high on Penn State's board before he got to campus. You know, guys like Keelan Adams, guys like Chance Wiggins, who are from the Virginia area, from Virginia, and Noel Higgins from when he was at UVA. I think that has really helped. I know he's worked to establish a relationship with Josiah Brown out of New York. That's been a priority. So things have come along pretty nicely there. And we talked about, I remember when, this hire was first made. We talk about Hagen's being such a people person and his ability to develop relationships and really put the person before the player and really, you know, feel at home recruiting kids. You know, kids want to feel at home with their position coach. And that's what Hagen's kind of was able to create at UVA. And I think he's been able to get off to a pretty good start at Penn State in that regard. I think the early feedback has indicated that guys like Hagen's as a person. You know, they love what he could do for them from a development perspective. They do think that he can help them get to the next level. But at the same time, they feel comfortable not only suiting up for him, but, you know, being around him on a daily basis and just interacting with him. And I think that's a big deal for guys like Keelan Adams and Chance Wiggins and Browns and so many others who are on the receiver board. You know, Peter Gonzalez out of Pittsburgh Central Catholic, he has Penn State in his top three. That's a new relationship Higgins has been working on just – all the feedback that I've gotten on Higgins is positive. And like I said, you know, you don't want to oversell the impact that a new position coaches had in what, less than a month now. Uh, you know, that's just the way it is. But I do think having him around is going to pay dividends in recruiting. I definitely think this was a good hire for Penn State. And I think that's starting to show with a lot of the top prospects at the position. I think there's a lot to like there. And maybe the top guy on that board for Penn State, Keelan Adams, number one player in Virginia by 24-7 sports assessment. Penn State signed six of the top 12 players out of Virginia in the 2023 recruiting cycle, which is a pretty tremendous result. Now you add Higgins to the mix, guy who has that rapport. Adams has put that, that final four out there. Uh, Penn State, Pittsburgh, Virginia Tech, West Virginia uh, for the top 100 receiver we have a bit of a write-up on that from brian doan i know you broke down some of that at lines 247.com and as things continue to surface and, and materialize behind the scenes check out lines 247.com for our vip coverage uh led by tyler Cavaruzzo on the recruiting trail tyler always appreciate you getting on the podcast breaking things down with us always appreciate you having me on man i'm sure the next time i'm on we'll have even more to talk about just the way we roll always talk to you soon we'll be right back on the lines 24 7 podcast Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's transition over to Daniel Gallon because if we got you all excited about where Penn State's football recruiting efforts, we're going to bring the mood down a bit now by talking about Nittany Lions basketball. And with that segue, Mr. Gallon, uh, fresh out of your BJC experience last night, welcome back onto the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tyler. It's uh, things have changed, uh, you know, over these past two weeks, uh, pretty quickly. Uh, you know, it's it's that time of year in college basketball. Right. We were having a pretty serious conversation uh, at Lines twenty four seven between a few of us on staff about, you know, were you going to be out covering March Madness? Were you going to be able to do some spring ball coverage here? What is it going to be a conflict? And right now, certainly trending away from any involvement in in the NCAA tournament for the Nittany Lions, three consecutive losses to open the month of February. Let's start with the most recent one, which was in overtime late night on Wednesday against Wisconsin. Yeah, Penn State fell behind Wisconsin early. Uh, Wisconsin was doing a really nice job just keeping them at arm's length, where it was the type of thing where Penn State would get in within two or three points, make it a one-possession game. Wisconsin would respond with a three-pointer. Chucky Hepburn had a nice game uh, or a finish at the basket. Uh, eventually Penn State went on a nice little run um, after about the 10 minute mark uh, in the second half. You know, they got out into a two point lead late. Uh, Chucky Hepburn and Seth Lundy traded three pointers in the final minute. Uh, Penn State withstood a couple of, you know, second chance prayers at the buzzer and they got it to overtime. But Penn State just was kind of out of gas. Seth Lundy and Jalen Pickett were playing with four fouls. Uh, they could not get the shots to drop. Um, and Wisconsin was just really able to, to win the overtime period, you know, within the first two or three minutes of it. They got it out to two possessions and, you know, there just wasn't really a, a chance for for Penn State to, you know, to really get it in or get back. So it's it was a tough one. I think that you Penn State and Wisconsin were tied uh, for 10th in the Big Ten going into last night. Wisconsin held the tiebreaker because they beat them in Madison uh, last month. But with this, Penn State is firmly in 11th place in the Big Ten. But the quirk with the Big Ten this year, Penn State is 5-8 and eight in conference play. They are three games out of second place right now if you ignore uh, all of the uh, you know, all the tiebreakers and everything. So, you know, you're in 11th place. You've lost three straight games. But at the same time, you're three games out uh, of second place with seven games to play. Uh, there's going to be a lot of jogging for position over these next couple of weeks. So Penn State opened January at 11 and three. Uh, they opened February at 14 and seven. Now they are at 14 and 10, as you said, dipping three games under the 500 mark in conference action. What's gone awry for this team? Because you go back to the way it finished in January, 22 point win over Michigan that got them to 14 and seven. It got them to 500 in Big Ten play ahead of a trip to number one Purdue. And since then, it's been clunk, clunk, clunk. It, it goes back to the defense, I think. You, you look back at that Rutgers game, and a lot of people want to start, you know, put that as kind of the, you know, where things changed as a bit of a turning point. Um, but I think that that was such just an anomalous night. 
Um, and you have to look at everything that's happened since then. Um, you know, you look at a game uh, against Purdue where you set the defense up so that one guy is getting open shots and that guy happens to hit all of them. You know, Mason Gillis had 30 points, set a Mackey Arena record uh, for three pointers. And that was kind of by design. You know, that's the guy that Penn State wanted to be taking those shots. Um, and then you have something similar happen uh, at Nebraska with uh, Casey Tomanaga. I mean, he is someone who was a little, it was a little bit less surprising than, than Gillis's <laughs> outburst. But the fact that Tomanaga got 30 points, it was just one of those things where everything he was throwing up at the basket goes in. Um, so I, I think you really have to look at the defense and the struggles that it's had. You know, that was really the identity of this team last year. Um, and the personnel this year isn't too much different. Obviously, there was a really big turnover uh, through the transfer portal with guys leaving, guys coming in. Um, but you still have guys like Seth Lundy, Jalen Pickett, Miles Dredd, um, who are playing heavy minutes. And you, know, you lose John Hara down low, but it's really kind of hard to put your finger on, you know, why this defense hasn't been there. You know, I think about in the preseason, Micah Shrewsbury, you know, this is one of those comments that at the time it seems kind of innocuous, but this point in the season that you start thinking a little bit more about, but you know, the beginning of his first season, he talks a lot about how the defense was ahead of the offense and that's kind of what they rode going into the season. Uh, this year, he said the offense was ahead of the defense and that they really, really focused on getting this offense up to speed, you know, putting in a, a new system, one that was you know, up more up tempo was you know, more centered on outside shooting. Um, and then, you know, they would look at the the defense later. Um, and that's something where that's not really a question for right now, but I think as we get into the off season, that'll probably be something to revisit with Micah Shrewsbury because I think you just look at the defense and that's where, that's where this team has really struggled. I mean, I forget what the number was, but Wisconsin hadn't scored. I think it was either 58 or 68 points in big 10 play at all, or in a long time this year, they had that regulation this year or last night. Part of your coverage on Wednesday night, which was a, a tremendous as usual, comprehensive as usual between you and Mark Brennan, um, you, you know, wrote about Micah Shrewsbury. It feels like he's done this at a few different junctures of the season, Daniel, and, and issuing a challenge to his team at what could be a pivot point for the program, at least here in the 2022-2023 season. He did that on Monday, you wrote. Um, this is a group that is not lacking for veteran experience and then the result happens and, and, and you lose a matchup like they did. What comes out the other side of this for Micah and for his roster? Yeah, I was really thinking about this last night as I, I was writing. I think the, the phrase I used in my story is that he's really emptied the rhetorical toolbox when it comes to pulling out all of the motivational stops. Um, you know, he went after the officials after that Purdue game um, and he's kind of stayed on them a little bit. Uh, he brought it up at the very end of last night's news conference uh, when it came to Jalen Pickett. You know, Jalen Pickett hasn't taken a free throw in the past three games, and that is wow. someone who does the majority of his work in the post, um, in the paint. So it's a, a little bit of an anomaly there. Um, but, you know, he called out the officials. After the Rutgers game, he called the team soft. Um, and then this week he did kind of the the challenge, like it's it's now or never, that it's February you know, you have all these guys who are in their final years of eligibility. Um, even someone like Seth Lundy, who's a senior who has an extra year, the way that he's been playing, it wouldn't be a surprise if he moved on after this year to the next level. 
um, you know, time is running out for these players. And, you know, Shrewsbury kind of laid it out there. You know, he said that he's going to get a lot more chances to do this. He's going to have a lot more bites at the apple of being a college basketball coach. Um, You know, but these guys as college basketball players, their time is really, really running out. So, you know, it comes down to do you want to work for it? Um, Do you want it? Um, And then you you turn around and and you lose an overtime last night. Um, I, I did feel like the team came out. Um, a little tight last night. It was a little, the, the atmosphere, you know, 8.30 p.m. tip on a Wednesday. It's a little late. Um, it was a little bit of a, a sleepier crowd than we've seen, um, but there wasn't really the, the kind of the typical energy. Um, you know, Shrewsbury seemed a little bit more, not necessarily subdued, but there is an intensity there that we hadn't really seen um, and it was more of a, it was a bit of a heavier intensity. And that was something that really felt like it radiated out. Um, a colleague from the Center Daily Times, John Sauber, asked Mike after the game, um, you know, if he was as into it as he has been or kind of, you know, tried to get into what his demeanor really was like. And Shrewsbury kind of shrugged it off and said that he was the same that he had been, but it didn't necessarily feel the same. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things you know, turn out this Saturday you know, going to Maryland, a uh, tough place to play. They're undefeated there in Big Ten play. At the same time, they're a team that has laid a couple eggs this year. Um, and Penn State does have a history of playing them pretty tough. Um, so I'm really curious to see how this team, um, you know, bounces back. Um, you know, last year they had a couple losing streaks, but it was a first year coach. We all knew that the roster where it was roster wasn't where it needed to be there wasn't really kind of that tease of oh this is what things could be yet um so it's shaping up to be a um you know pretty interesting next couple of weeks in terms of what this team is going to be able to accomplish seven big 10 matchups remain through march 5th you talked about the maryland road trip coming up this saturday they finish at home against maryland so you're bookending this with a couple matchups versus the Terps. In between that, you've got home games against the Illinois and Rutgers and visits to Minnesota, Ohio State, Northwestern. With all that said, with what you've laid out about how they've gotten to this point in the season, uh, what are the most, I guess, realistic evolutions they can apply in the next uh, month, or less than that at this point, to maybe put themselves in a spot to – to seize uh, that door from slamming and say, Hey, crack it open just a little (laughs) bit longer and give themselves an opportunity when they get into the big 10 conference to go make some noise. It's definitely the type of thing where based on what we've seen these past in the past week or two weeks or so, uh, and you know, what we saw last night and kind of the, the general mood, it feels like the door should be shut. But then, like I said earlier, you look at the standings and you realize that, Oh, it, it's still open. And then you look at the games that, Penn State has left and you can kind of start to to do some math. Um, obviously, Penn State is not in a position where anyone is a guaranteed win for them. Uh, even a team like Minnesota, uh, who I watched last weekend and just did not look good. You know, they're far and away uh, the worst team in the Big Ten. But, you know, Penn State has to go on the road to play them on next Saturday night, 9 p.m. Eastern tip. Uh, you know, we saw them lose at Nebraska. Um, but But you look at these games that they have coming up. You know, Ohio State has not been good uh, this year. Um, You get Minnesota. Northwestern has kind of fallen back to the pack a little bit. 
and that's traditionally a, a program. You know, Penn State swept them last year. You know that that should be a good game. That that's a winnable game. Um, you know, Rutgers and Illinois. You know, will be tough. Penn, but Penn State did beat Illinois on the road. I think that they found their footing a little bit um, after making some personnel changes. You know, Rutgers is a team where you know they lost one of their big men for the season. You know, that throws a wrench into things. And then you're playing a, a Maryland team that's been kind of mercurial this year. You know, they had a, a three game winning streak where they looked really good. Um, they're lost to Michigan uh, on Tuesday night. They got into a huge hole early and then were in position to win at the end, but kind of had a really baffling end of game sequence like you sometimes see in college. So it's it's the type of thing where, you know, it, it does feel really easy to bury them. You know, I'm not necessarily holding my breath that, you know, they have this big turnaround. I think that the best case scenario for them uh, is sneaking off of sneaking out of the bottom four and maybe grabbing the ninth or 10th seed in the Big Ten tournament. So they're not playing Wednesday night. Um, But if they do that, then they're in position to, you know, you win a couple games in Chicago, then you could be back on the bubble. So it's one of those things where. You know, I think sometimes I do preach patience too much uh, when it comes to these these bigger picture things. But, you know, seven games is a lot. There's a lot that can happen in either direction in terms of bottoming out or turning around. So, you know, I'm just you know, it's super cliche, but, you know, you really do have to look at it one game at a time. Um, you know, look at this Maryland game, pick up the pieces after that and reset a little bit with six games to go you know after today we reset a little bit with seven games to go it sounds to me daniel that penn state has certainly lost the benefit of the doubt in your opinion but it sounds like much of the big 10 has <laughs> doesn't have your benefit of the doubt either so that is the situation we face here in the next three to four weeks uh, as things get sorted out ahead of the uh, tournament uh, it has been a while since uh, since the 2011 appearance for penn state in the NCAA tournament. Of course, they would have, uh, ex- they were expected to be there in 2020 before COVID shut things down altogether for March Madness that year. Um, and we'll see what happens. Not as rosy of a picture as it was coming into the month as it is now, nine days into February. Let's shift gears and, and finish with a conversation on what awaits seven former Penn State players now. Uh, they know the step in the process towards the NFL draft will take them to the NFL scouting combine in Indianapolis. Always such a great opportunity uh, for the participants out there to make themselves a lot of money, potentially lose yourself a lot of money. Uh, But Jair Brown, PJ Mustafer, Joey Porter Jr., Juice Scruggs, Brenton Strange, Mitchell Tinsley, Parker Washington, all included on on that list of anticipated participants out in Indianapolis. Uh, notable admission there uh, is, omission I should say, is no Sean Clifford. Of course, uh, gra- left this program with just about every passing record in Penn State history after his six seasons. Uh, as you noted in your story on this, uh, Will Levis, of course, will be out there. Justin Shorter, uh, just a couple of familiar names for Penn State fans to also monitor out there. But I guess uh, big picture, uh, because like you said, uh, you're good at you're good at take, uh, breaking down the big picture <laughs> stuff with a patient approach. And I think Patience always needs to be preached with this NFL draft buildup. There's a mock draft every freaking minute appearing. It's always a different uh, opinion on a lot of these guys. But when they get through the process uh, here in early March, uh, March 5th, I believe it ends in Indianapolis, we're going to have a much better footing on where these guys realistically might be slotted come April. 
Definitely. You know, th- these next couple of weeks, uh, you know, in terms of you know top 30 visits uh, with the teams, the combine in Indianapolis, and then the pro day uh, back here in State College, you know, this is going to be really, really big uh, for some of these players in terms of proving themselves at the next level, you know, showing NFL scouts and, and personnel executives what they want to see or what they need to see and really making their case to get drafted. I think when I looked at this group, you know, this, these seven names, the first thing that stood out to me is something that, that James Franklin mentioned uh, back in November when talking specifically about Jair Brown. But I think it'll apply to this whole group is that they're all going to interview really, really well at Indianapolis. Um, And when you're at the combine, the interview process really is just such a gauntlet um, where it's just, you know, team after team after team, you know, it's a whole day of it. Um, I feel like some guys have said that it's, you know, sick can be anywhere from like six to eight hours by the time you're finished meeting with, with all of these teams. And, you know, they have you wanting to do different things. Uh, You know, there's the funny story about Nick Sirianni at the Eagles playing rock, paper, scissors uh, with potential draft prospects. You know, a lot of stuff can happen in these meetings, but sometimes they ask completely inappropriate (laughs) questions that have nothing to do with the job interview process. Exactly, exactly. But I think that this is a group of guys that's that's really well equipped um, to to handle that process. You know, I think that, you know, from our experience and a lot of the media availabilities with we had with these players is that, you know, very open, very friendly, very cordial, um, very smart. Um, I think that that's something that that stood out to me. Um, and then a little bit more narrow focus, the, the one person who I'm really interesting to kind of follow in this process is Parker Washington. Um, you know, we saw him, he was still on that, that scooter out in Pasadena uh, a month ago. So you kind of assume that, you know, in a couple more weeks, it's unlikely he'll be able to do much, if anything, um, in Indianapolis. So for him, you know, those interview, that interview process is going to be even more important. Um, in terms of having that communication with those teams, uh, you know, showing them what he's about, you know, seeing how much they like his tape, you know, what else he needs to prove, how his medicals come out. Um, I, I think that that'll be really interesting to follow uh, in terms of where, you know, he ultimately hears his name called uh, in April. Musper is the name that stands out to me. He told us even out in Pasadena that he was ready to, you know, readily admitted wasn't still where he wanted to be, where he thinks he can be. And he talked about that at different points of his final season with Penn State and wanting to regain the form that earned him second team all Big Ten conference honors, despite only playing six games back in 2021. And that's a tall task for anyone who carries that kind of a physical frame and is recovering from that kind of an injury where you've got to support yourself and gain that confidence. Um, you didn't see it reflected in the stat sheet. You didn't necessarily see it reflected uh, in, in the opposing backfield this year. He played a ton of snaps. He, he, he led all defensive tackles. He was out there. He was a stalwart for this defense. But I think he's still got a lot of case to make, whereas we thought he would have already made some of that case going into this situation. I want to see where he's at. I think you know, The Shrine Bowl, from what I heard out there, from what I was able to see just in clips and stuff, there was a lot of buzz around what he was able to do in the trenches in the Shrine Bowl. And, and you know, you're going to take your next step when you go out to the NFL Combine where you've got the, the best defensive line prospects gathered around you and, and you're being compared to all of your peers. But, you know, I think you want to see just P.J. Mustafer reach another gear uh, that, that, that maybe he wasn't able to find on his road to recovery in 2022. Because uh, talking with him coming out of his Penn State career, it felt like he thought he was going to end up coming out of the other side of this thing and, 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 and going into his NFL first year, that was going to be maybe the, the moment where he felt like he was fully back from that October, 2021 injury. So 
a litmus test here uh, for P.J. Mustafer, and then I'll also throw in Joey Porter Jr. because he's a guy who was not targeted much after week one of this 2022 season, right? I mean, I think he pretty much ha- saw the same amount of targets in his last nine or ten games as a Nittany Lion as he did in that season opener last year. So you want to see him you know, getting tested by some of these coaches, not to say he's playing 11 on 11 football and, and, and having to play that kind of ball. But there's an opportunity for you to thrive and an opportunity for you to get exposed at cornerback, unlike really any other position in football. And I think this will be a nice early signal to some of those NFL scouts at where he stands. It was good for him to get back, uh, play a few defensive series in Beaver Stadium in that regular season finale. He, he put some at least he showed that he was able to get back out there. You know, the appendicitis isn't anything that I think we should be considering a link issue um, but those two guys to me when I, when I when I talked about that because PJ or PJ Mustfer has a chance to really rise up I don't know where he is right now in the mind of NFL Scouts but I don't think where he's where we thought he might be going into this situation and Joey Porter jr he's battling to be cornerback one I, I often see him as the second or third guy off the board of that position and to me if he goes out and does what I think he can accomplish from an athletic standpoint with his length, with that size, and people go back and sort through what they saw on the film at Penn State, I could see him coming out of this situation as the firm you know, top 10, top 15 level prospect that I think a lot of us believe he ultimately will be. But I think nationally and in the eyes of NFL scouts, there's a lot to clear up there. I just think that's where he ends up landing. Porter's going to be a fun one because we're going to get the the legit measurements uh, on him in terms of that arm length, that wingspan. Uh, my favorite thing after every draft is to go to mock draftable and see the spider charts that puts the various uh, testing numbers and, and measurements into the percentiles. Um, and it wouldn't be surprised for Joey Porter Juniors to feature a lot of you know 97, 98, 99th percentile uh, mm-hmm. for cornerbacks and defensive backs. So that'll be pretty entertaining um and you know talking about risers i mean brenton strange i think is one of the more uh intriguing ones out there um, absolutely you know he told us that he was hearing some mid-range you know mid-round uh evaluations uh before the rose bowl back in december um you know he was someone where you know it didn't surprise me you know that that he declared he, he had a good case for coming back and having the opportunity to really build on that but i am really curious to see how he fits in the the modern NFL um, because he did play sort of an H back role here at Penn state. When you factor in all of the blocking that he did, all of the lead blocking he did, you know, he just was kind of a a Jack of all trades. So, you know, I want to see, you know, how he tests and then, you know, from there, you know, where does he fit in at the next level? And then in terms of testing, you know, I think Penn state has the reputation um, as yeah. you know, as players who go to the combine, go to pro, go to pro day, and, and really show out. But you know, Jair Brown is someone who, when you looked at all those All American teams, all those All Big Ten teams, the accolades that he or the lack thereof of accolades mm-hmm. really didn't you know compute with what we saw from him on the field. Uh, so I think that he is someone who you know I don't necessarily know how he's viewed inside the NFL. But I think in kind of the draft industrial complex, I think that he is someone who is under the radar and that I think could be, you know, put up some eye catching numbers and and really be a big riser, at least externally um, coming out of the draft, coming out of Indianapolis. So he's one that um, that I'm really going to watch. And then I'll just close by circling back to Sean Clifford and, you know, yeah, you have to, right? Yeah, his, his omission. I you know, I was thinking a lot about this over the past day, and yeah, I think that the big thing with the combine and and things like this is that 
it's really information gathering. Um, you know, you have someone like Parker Washington who's hurt. You know, you want to get and you want to get in the room with him if you're an NFL team and, and figure things out. You know, Joey Porter Jr. is someone with those measurements, with those traits, and the possibility that he could be a, a top 15 pick. You know, you need to get into the room with him. You know, you need to see him on the field. You need to put him through kind of the the real paces if you're going to make that sort of an, an investment with him. You know, and then guys like Jair Brown and, and Brenton Strange. They're people that are going in there with with lots to prove and that, you know, I think for Penn State fans, you know, these guys really well, but on more of a national stage, you know, in the NFL world, they might be a little bit more unknown. So, you know, NFL teams want to do due diligence and things like that. I think when it comes to someone like Sean Clifford, you know, it we kind of know what he is. Um, you know, I think that he's put what his physical traits are, you know, on display. You know, I think that there's not really a lot of unknown with him as a player. And I don't really think there's even a lot of unknown with him as a personality either, because he has been so upfront, you know, he has been the face of this program for a while. So, you know, I think that in terms of maybe, you know, explaining why uh, he's not, you know, in Indianapolis, he's not in this group. You know, I think that there's just kind of, you know, it's no fault to his own, but I think that there's just not like a lot that more that you're looking to find out about him or that you need to find out about him. I think you really do kind of know what he is at this point. I think you did a nice job finessing the situation, but I, <laughs> I, I, I'd imagine the only way that Sean Clifford is digesting, interpreting this is they don't think I, I deserve a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. They don't think I deserve a spot on an NFL roster. And Sean Clifford has been – talk about whatever the performance has been year to year, the motivation with Sean Clifford since I first met him before his junior season of high school has really been apparent, and it has grown and it has built – and whether or not he's on an NFL roster in 2023 as a rookie or whether or not he's going to have a professional football career, I'd imagine this is going to be uh, fired him up ahead of that mm-hmm. uh, Penn State Pro Day. He'll have – I don't know if Parker Washington will be running routes for him by then, but he'll have Mitchell Tinsley and Brenton Strange to throw the ball to that day, and he'll get to go through work of his own. Uh, and it'll be our first opportunity to see a quarterback get scrutinized like that by NFL scouts uh, within Penn State facilities since Trace McSorley was put through the ringer a few years back. And and so, look, uh, Sean, Sean Clifford, uh, I, I, I appreciate what you said, but I think there's a lot of guys who have played a lot of football and maybe you think you have figured out who are on that list for the Combine. He's not on it, and, and I just know number 14 is not going to take that lightly. <laughs> if he wants to play professional football, and I think he does, uh, mm-hmm. then I'd imagine a spark has been intensified. And just going back to Brenton Strange before we move forward, he he's a wild card to me. I mean, he blocked his <laughs> ass off. He developed so much as a blocker at Penn State. He was an important part of the equation for why this this rushing attack was able to get going and find its stride. But six foot three, 245, 250 pounds, uh, you know, in the Big Ten, what does that look like at the NFL level? Um, and this is a guy who came to campus at Penn State, 215 pounds or so, worked really hard to put on strong weight. Uh, he's a guy who uh, really advanced physically over the course of his four years on campus. And then from a statistical standpoint with Brenton Strange, I mean, he came out of the gates hot last season, 14 catches, 221 yards, three touchdowns through the first four games. Although he remained a very highly effective blocker and a guy who played 600-plus snaps, he didn't get, He didn't hit 40 receiving yards in any of the remaining nine games, Daniel. He caught two touchdowns in those last nine games. So I, I'm curious to see what happens when, when NFL evaluators 
assess how his final year played out because there was a point in time in late September that we were walking around wondering if Brendan Strange was on the verge of, of working his way towards a first team all Big Ten kind of a year. Didn't happen that way. Theo Johnson had a big breakout. Uh, Tyler Warren got some of the love at tight end as well along the way. But I think it was a really kind of a juxtaposed season in the tight end room from a production standpoint. And a lot of talent evaluators in the NFL, when they measure up some of these top tier tight ends, uh, you know, you're going to see, I think, a little bit more consistency regardless of the offense that they're in. I feel like Brenton Strange is is uh, in that he's in that zone where it's that question where it's do you either want to start strong or finish strong? Where you know we look at you know his and Theo Johnson's stats were pretty similar by the end of the year, but because Theo's came in the back half of the year, you look at them a little bit differently as opposed to Brenton's, which were in in the first half of the year. But you know I do think that that's kind of where the the whole pre draft process comes in. You know, that's where the the NFL teams are going to take a closer look. Um, you know, I think that I think they'll notice. Um, <laughs> or it's hard not to notice Theo Johnson when you're watching tape, but I think that they'll notice that there was you know someone introduced into into the offense uh, a little bit more as the season went on in Theo. You know, and they're gonna have the chance to talk to Brenton Strange and ask yeah. him about you know what was really going on. You know, what happened to your production. You know, was it the result of Theo Johnson coming back? Was it just the flow of things? Um, so it, it there's a lot to sift through. But, you know, he is someone where I do kind of think of any of these players that going into at this point in the draft process, I kind of have the, the widest range for where yeah. he could hear his name called. I think the rest of the guys you can, you know, pretty much pinpoint as, you know, day one, day two, day three, or, you know, rounds three to four, like a fringe day two, day three guy. But Brenton Strange is the one where I'm kind of like, I wouldn't be surprised by, you know, <laughs> anything that you mm-hmm. told me about where he goes in the draft. And by the way, Mitchell Tinsley had just found out that he was invited uh, to this event. Uh, I think that was when he was out in uh, in Pasadena. He found out he was going to get an opportunity to compete out here, I believe. Uh, and he was just lit up. I mean, he was lit up the whole trip out in L.A. <laughs> just the fact that he was living the experience in the Rose Bowl. A guy who didn't have any FBS offers, had to go JUCO, then went Western Kentucky, finally gets to Penn State. Now here he is. Um, probably the name on this list that we just kind of skimmed over and that most people skim over. I'm really in, intrigued by how Mitchell Tinsley can potentially differentiate himself, make an upward mobility within what figures to be a very deep group of receivers, as it seems to be every year now uh, in, in the draft. And, and, and so maybe don't look uh, don't look past Tinsley um, when you sort through this list. And these guys, are, like you said, largely going to crush it in the interviews. And I'll use that as an opportunity to tease I think we're going to have some interviews on this podcast with some of these draft prospects out of Penn State. So stay tuned to that between now and when the draft actually takes place in late April. Combine players will report there later this month, continues through March 5th. Uh, Daniel, appreciate the perspective on basketball. We'll see what happens. They they take on Maryland Saturday trying to get out of their rut. Uh, And we'll certainly have more on the NFL draft prospects uh, for Penn State's products here in the coming weeks and months. Sounds good to me, Tyler. All right. Take care. Good stuff from Daniel Gallen and Tyler Calvaruso joining me here, our Lions 24-7 colleagues, uh, helping shoulder the load here on another edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Uh, We have a lot more coming your way next week with a couple more episodes between now and then. Be sure to track all the latest in Nittany Lions football, basketball, recruiting coverage at Lions247.com right now. $1 for one month if you want to take a quick test drive, see what we're all about behind that paywall, or hop on board, have some confidence in it, and pay only 70% 
on an annual subscription to Lions247.com. A couple deals going on right now. For now, I'm stepping aside. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll catch you next time right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.